Welcome to the Catholic Leaders Podcast, where we talk with inspirational leaders and explore how faith informs leadership. I'm Carrie Robinson, a member of the board of Leadership Roundtable. And I'm Kim Smolik, an executive partner at Leadership Roundtable. Leadership Roundtable is a ministry of hope for the church, founded to promote best practices in leadership and management. We're so excited to have you join us today. So click the subscribe button and let's get started. Carrie, it's so good to see you. It's always good to see you, but especially now that I don't get to see you every single day at Leadership Roundtable, how is the new role at Catholic Charities USA going so far? Kim, it's so good to see you too, and it is such a joy to be back recording this podcast and introducing our fabulous guest in this episode. Since we last recorded, I have taken on the role of president and CEO of Catholic Charities USA and am absolutely dazzled by the caliber of attention and dedication of my colleagues by the mission. Uh, It was a bit of a baptism by fire because there were the devastating fires in Hawaii and our colleagues, particularly our colleagues in Hawaii at Catholic Charities Hawaii, have been ministering to people who are experiencing such profound devastation and loss. But the job that they are doing is really our church at its best. It is showing support, love, mercy, compassion, food, clothing, shelter. I mean, they are really the embodiment of the gospel. It makes me so happy knowing you and knowing the kind of leader that you are, that you have taken on this position. My very first job in the Catholic Church was for Catholic Charities in Minneapolis and St. Paul, and it was the uh, opportunity to you know do this work of the frontline work of serving uh, each other uh, and to serve the mission of the church so directly and it is always stayed in my heart is something that is one of the most meaningful things I've ever had the opportunity to do and so I'm, I'm just pleased that you are there and you know today in our conversation with sister Natalie Beckhart uh, we had the opportunity to talk about Um, leadership, of course, and her particular uh, decision to say yes to the invitation by Pope Francis to be one of the leaders of the Synod uh, and to work with not just the bishops, but with the people of God around the the world uh, and the, the concerns and the desires on our hearts. One of the things that she mentioned that I really appreciated was the role of how we don't do any of this work alone uh, and the role of supporting each other and of mentorship and of, of those that have supported her uh, in in taking this big leap to this position. And I, I it's a reflection point that we're in right now because of your, I think, your new role. And I just wonder if you've had even a moment, I can't imagine you have, but a moment to think about the many people that have been a support to you along the way and maybe give you an opportunity to share about a couple of them. 
That was one of my favorite insights in the conversation we had with Sister Natalie as well. Because of course, people who live vocationally absolutely understand that we never do this in isolation. We don't even take that leap to the unknown or accept the call if it were not for other people who are instruments of grace and, and signs of encouragement at every step of, of the journey. Uh, I certainly have experienced that all of my life, to be honest, but most, most immediately in the months leading up to this new transition from Leadership Roundtable to Catholic Charities USA in my, in my own life. In fact, the very day that I received the invitation to serve in this capacity, I was in Ireland and I kept the, the, the knowledge in my heart and just pondered it for a day without discussing it with anyone uh, except for my spouse. And that night, I dreamt of one of my great mentors, Bob Boulogne. Father Bob was the Catholic chaplain at Yale for 25 years before his, his death. And in the dream, he was so elated for me. And I thought, even in death, we can uh, benefit from the friendship that is everlasting and from grace in unexpected ways. That is so beautiful. And it makes me so happy to be able to hear that story. I didn't know that story. And one, I'm just really taken by the wisdom that you have in and holding that, as you said, in your heart to yourself to sit with that. But then the gift of receiving a visit from one of your dearest friends in the world, Father Bob Boulogne, uh, just brings me a lot of um, consolation and joy to hear about. So thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, it, it, thank you for, for broaching the subject. Let's, let's let our listeners hear directly from Sister Natalie. And let's all keep her and her many colleagues in our prayers as she welcomes, on behalf of Pope Francis, delegates from all over the globe for the Synod in October. Welcome back to the Catholic Leaders Podcast. We are happy to have you with us today as we speak with an inspiring leader and woman, Sister Natalie Beckhart. Sister Natalie Beckhart is a French Catholic religious sister and member of the Congregation of Xavier Sisters. She has in many ways become the image of women's leadership in the church, having been appointed by Pope Francis as the undersecretary of the Synod of Bishops making her the first woman to hold a voting role in the Synod of Bishops. She is one of the primary leaders of the Synod alongside Cardinal Mario Grech. Sister Natalie has a heart and passion for youth ministry and for promoting women's leadership in the church. In 2012, she was the first woman to be appointed as the director of the National Service for the Evangelization of Youth and for Vocations within the French Bishops' Conference. During her 10-year mission at the French Bishops' Conference, she became deeply connected to synodality. 
having helped prepare the Synod on Youth, Faith, and Vocational Discernment in France and the Synod on Young People in Vatican City, where she now lives. Welcome, Sister Natalie. We are thrilled to have you join us today. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be connected with you. So thank you so much for hosting me and greeting to everyone from Rome. History was made in 2021 when you were appointed to a voting role at the Synod as Undersecretary. You are the first woman to ever hold such a position. Could you share with us what you experienced when you learned of this appointment, which was immediately followed by an avalanche of global media attention? Did you realize that you would become such an important face of the movement for women's leadership in the church? And what have you noticed about what it means to be such a role model and spokesperson for women's leadership? Well, the first thing I can share, it was that really it was such a surprise for me. You know, I never imagined I would be called to for this uh, mission at the Vatican. So first it has really shaken me. I was impressed. I felt really, uh, you know, so humbly cold. Um, but so, and at the same time, yes, I, I realized it was something new. <laughs> And it, uh, I receive it, you know, as a call of the Holy Father. So for me, it's a call of the church and a call of God. Um, and really, I was so surprised. I could never imagine that it will be so much spread through the media. <laughs> and it's true that's what has happened. Uh, and I have received so many, so many messages from everywhere, of course, from many, many women, religious, slave women, but also men, priests, bishops, cardinals. And the way I have received it, you know, is uh, ready. I have felt that it's not me. In fact, it's a very strong, uh, I think, uh, audacious uh, gesture from Pope Francis. Uh, that is maybe through me, but for the women as a sign. And the fact that so many reacted like this told me how the issue of women in the church, but also in the society, is, is one of the main issues in our world today. And so I realized that uh, what Pope Francis has done, you know, really has uh, resonates with the aspiration of so many people all around the world. Uh, so it's it's more than just, you know, Sister Natalie <laughs> at the Vatican, but through that, it's really highlighting uh, that so many people today dreams and want, uh, you know, good relationships, uh, partnerships, equality between men and women in the society and in the church. Yeah, well, it certainly gave us tremendous hope here. And it presaged what would be lifted up in the global synodal uh, listening sessions. So we are we're delighted with with the Holy Spirit's choice, and it does take uh, someone like you to respond positively and to say yes to it. So we are in your debt. 
Thank you so much. But you know, I can really leave this uh, adventure because it's really an adventure, very interesting, and uh, but also not so easy as you can imagine. Uh, but um, what really helps me day after day, and I can only leave the, this role, feeling so strongly connected with so many women and people all around the world. Uh, it's not alone. And, and that's really what I, I try to highlight from the beginning. I also received this call, you know, uh, feeling that I am just a little uh, part among a long chain uh, I often recall that if I am here today and if many women also are in other leadership position in the church, it's, it's not coming just one day. Uh, it's a whole story, and I already many times because I have been shaped by my studies on the council, my research on synodality, and uh, in fact, Paul VI was also the Pope who asked women to come for the first time at uh, the two last sessions of the Second Vatican Council as observers. But they have been taking an active role in commissions, for instance, for helping to draft uh, Gaudium et Space. Uh, so, you know, I can't think about myself without thinking of all these women before me, at the Vatican, but also in the local churches. And nowadays, it's really all together. It's nobody alone. That's so inspiring um, and to think about it that way and to be thinking about this narrative of, of women's role in the church that you are uh, contributing to and, and hopefully all of us are contributing to. We've been waiting for some significant changes like your appointment for, for, for a long time. Um, it is not uh, a small thing that this has happened. Um, it's still a bold step for the church to appoint women to roles like the undersecretary and to consider opening other doors to leadership. Um, and there's been, I, I love hearing that you've been hearing from people all over the world. I would love to hear some insight to maybe a couple of the responses that you've received. Um, maybe there's a story um, of, of people who have reached out to you and sort of what's, you know, what's the inside of, of people's hearts and minds when they see you in this role? Well, the, the first thing that has really touched me is that almost all the people who have uh, uh, wrote, uh, written to me, and some I know, others I don't know, you know, the first thing they wanted to share was really the joy of this news and the joy they have uh, felt receiving this news. So for me, that's, uh, and as I try to say, it's not me, it, it's it's uh, the symbolic sign that is given because it's, it's true that it has given a kind of visibility, but uh, it's not it's not because one is visible that uh, she's the only one. And, and that's why, you know, I can't think about myself without being in solidarity and trying to highlight mm -hmm. that if it has been possible at the Vatican in the Synod office, it's also because there are many other women already in leadership position. I am the fruit also of the, my church in France that has called me first in a diocese and at the bishops' conference, also the first woman to be director of this national office for youth and vocation. Uh, and uh, it's also happening in many places, and it's true. And 
I can share with you a very uh, interesting um, story. Uh, a few months ago, I have received an email from a, a laywoman from Africa, a country in Africa. And she would, she's part of the synodal uh, team uh, of the bishops' conference with other. In this country, it's the first time it's not just priests, but they have already organized a team with uh, men and women, lay, religious, uh, and priests. And she wrote to me telling, oh, you know, our bishop has seen what Pope Francis has done at the Vatican. And now I have just been appointed the first women president to our national uh, media federation. It has always been the priest. I am the first woman. And I can tell you, I really think it's because our bishops have seen what that's an example. <clears throat> Another example that has also really touched me because I have received also some uh, messages for instance, I was very surprised, I didn't imagine that, from political leaders in, in my country, the president of the Senate or also, you know, um, and some, because of my background, I studied first in a business school in HEC in France with a specialization in entrepreneurship. So I had also messages from alumni or people who are now, you know, business leaders uh, who are not Catholic. And one say, oh, you know, when we see that uh, the church can change with this uh, new appointment, it really gives hope to all of us. Because if even the church can change, it says it it uh, highlights that change is possible. <laughs> We love getting the, that insight into the specific ways that the impact of these changes at the at the Vatican and also just the engagement of this synod is is allowing to happen. Those stories um, are really uh, inspiring, and as you said, sort of bring bring joy and hope. Um, We'd love to hear a little bit about, um, as a person, sort of as a trailblazer, as a per first woman in this role, what are you noticing um, that you see and offer from your particular vantage point as a woman that is um, benefiting the church and its leadership at this level around you? Well, I would say, I think... For what I have observed, um, that when you, what you learn from many women and their way to be leader, usually they are more uh, keen, <laughs> I would say, to foster a collaborative leadership, uh, to pay attention to relationships, um, so to, to have sometimes a more, you know, maybe they, they are less, uh, I don't want to generalize because I, I don't think it's good to say the women are like this, the men are like this, and you just, you know, put them into boxes. It's not like this. There is a diversity of women, a diversity of, of men. But what we can say is that the history uh, has led many women, uh, you know, to be victims in many different dimension. When you look at the statistics, you know, uh, the first unemployed are women, the first victims of violence. Uh, so women are facing many, many challenges in, and especially in this time of crisis, you know. So they have also learned in a way, a kind of resilience. <laughs> 
and uh, learning that you can't overcome your challenges alone. Uh, it's by solidarity. So sometimes they are more keen, you know, to, to highlight the importance of collaboration, uh, mutual support, interdependence. I think also the ways sometimes we are educated and it's sometimes easier for women to acknowledge uh, our vulnerability, limitations, wants uh, than for men. <laughs> And, and that's in fact uh, key uh, also attitudes to, to, uh, to, to live a style of leadership that is a synodal leadership. That means a, listen, a, listening, a style of listening, consultation, fostering teamwork. Um, so that's really also, because women want to be, sometimes they have been put aside <laughs> but they want to be protagonists. They want to participate. So they highlight this uh, dimension. And, and that's really what we need today. Well, and, and on that point, since your appointment, Pope Francis has continued to open doors for women in the church at many levels, first through the recent appointment of three wonderful leaders, all women, to the dicastery that advises on the selection of bishops and through the new constitution. Now we've got a global synod synthesis reflecting a clarion call across continents for the promotion of women in leadership in the church and at the tables of decision-making. What are some of the possibilities for women in leadership positions in the church? What can we anticipate or what is on the horizon? Well, I would say first we have to acknowledge that we have already... <laughs> Uh, a good uh, number of possibilities and already many women in leadership and you are uh, really a role model also for that. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I often think also I refer to the Second Vatican Council. If you think about the council, uh, the, the experts in Latin, we call that parity, the theologians that have really played a key role with the, with the bishop. At that time, they were all men, priests, so all the theologians. Now, uh, we know that more and more, and in, especially in the United States, but also in other places, you have more and more women theologians teaching, including in seminaries, in uh, universities, and in our commission on uh, theology, methodology, spirituality, communication, we have a good number of women. And the document you refer to, this document for the continental stage, uh, has been drafted by a group of uh, 25 uh, experts, we can say, uh, during 12 days all together. I was with them uh, in Frascatini, Rome, with a process of cross-reading, praying, discerning together. And the women were uh, more than one third, almost 40%, lay and religious from all continents. Uh, and so, you know, just this fact that one of a key document for the Synod is not just drafted by priests, but also by uh, women, that the fact that today we do more and more theology uh, together, 
uh, it, it changed. It's an example. But I could also highlight the fact that now you have also a good number of women who are president of Catholic University, dean of theological faculties, mm. including in Rome. Uh, you have women president uh, of Caritas. That's a very important uh, caritative church bodies. Um, depending directly from the bishops. But I can s tell you, in, when I was in France, uh, it was uh, the, when I was at the bishops' conference, for the first time, Caritas in France has appointed a woman as president. She had a very strong voice. She went to speak to all the bishops in the plenary assembly. She was listened to. So we have to think about the church, not only the parish, and even we know that, uh, you know, in the United States, I think it's more than 40,000 lay ecclesial ministers working in parishes, chaplaincies, many, many women. In dioceses, for instance, yeah. recently I have met uh, a sister, uh, two sisters even, uh, whom I know in the United States, who are chancellor of their um, diocese, other are director of, of uh, ongoing formation or, uh, so there are already many possibilities. <laughs> then it's true and, and so this document highlights that so many people around the world and not only women, I think for me a key uh, turning point that uh, is that maybe 20 years ago, Still 10 years ago, the question of women in the church was mainly a question from the women and embodied by the women. But nowadays, it's no longer the women. <laughs> it's more and more also men, priests and bishops, uh, and as I uh, tell you, even cardinals and even the Pope. In his uh, press conference in the um, when he came back from Bahrain, he, he talked about the importance of women. Um, so that's something I think rather new. And as I say, it's there is an urgent call to give more women leadership in the church. It was already at the Synod on News, the Synod on the Amazon, but this Synod is calling even more strongly from everywhere. Then it's true that the answers to give there is not yet a consensus and there is different ways, <laughs> uh, but it has to be discussed and, um, and discerned. Mm -hmm. But there are already many possibilities. I can highlight another fact, you know, now I think you have maybe five countries who have appointed a woman as general secretary of the bishops conference in Germany, in uh, the Scandinavian um, Bishops' Conference, in Ethiopia, in South Africa. Uh, so that's also, you know, some kind of new roles for, for women. Such good news. And I think uh, this telling this story and making it known that this is happening. I think we don't all know all of these places these things are happening and the momentum that is building. At our um, 
Catholic Partnership Summit in 2022, we had um, a panel on women's leadership, and um, and Dr. Carolyn Wu spoke about how, and she recently wrote a book called Women Rising, and she spoke about how women are leading in so many places, like you're speaking to, uh, but the story isn't necessarily out there in terms of their leadership in the church, and so we just we want to continue to highlight the places that's happening and the positive impact that has. Yes, I, I think, as you say, it's very important to give maybe more visibility uh, to that, that it's not only, you know, one or two. <laughs> and I, I would like also to add, because I think for me, uh, it's a very interesting possible uh, road for the future. Uh, and I really promote that kind of uh, new experimentation, we can say. In France now, you have... Uh, Almost 100% of the bishops' councils have women in, in the bishops' council. Before it was only priests, mm -hmm. but now it's almost all uh, bishops have, you know, so they're very close council with lay people and a good number of, uh, of women. And I have been part of uh, one bishop's council in my diocese during three years. So I have seen how it changed also to descend together. But what is very interesting now, we have three bishops who have decided to have a women as they call it a general delegate or something like that. It means almost like a general vicar. Uh, the general vicar is a priest and he's the closest collaborator to the bishop. But the idea is to have a new model ready with the episcopal uh, leadership team, not only the bishop and the vicar general or two priests as vicar general, but with a lay, uh, p uh, lay person and it happens that now they are uh, women. And I have discussed also with them, and it's it's really interesting because it, it you know all the main decisions they are uh, discussed together. Um, and I really think that we have to help more and more our bishops, you know, to to open uh, new ways. And it's very difficult to carry on just alone uh, all the decisions a bishop should take. So in its councils and in its really, uh, what I have learned, you know, and uh, the, the business world knows that, is that it's always, you always take better decision when you cross uh, read the, or cross understand the situation, when you share different lenses, um, if you just put the same people with the same people, you just have a par part of uh, of the situation. So in our complex society, complex world, we need uh, discernment is key and you can't do it alone. You need to do it with different lenses. You are touching on some themes that are so core to Leadership Roundtable's mission as, as Kim indicated. One of those uh, sacrosanct values that Leadership Roundtable has been promoting on behalf of the church is co-responsibility. Women and men ordained religious and lay responsible for the full flourishing of the church's mission. And we we have over these 20 years taken um, particular focus on 
engaging laity with their particular gifts, experiences, and expertise to bring that to the service of the church, to strengthen church leadership, and to allow the church's mission to flourish unencumbered. It feels to me, when I read the syntheses at the local level and this global synthesis of the synod, it feels to me that we are truly in a new day for the church, where that sense of co-responsibility and particularly the role of the laity in the life of the church will take on an even greater prominence. Could, could you elaborate on that? And and if there are any obstacles to that, to that promising future, um, perhaps name those and let's get to work on removing those obstacles. <laughs> yeah, what I would say, it's true that really a synodal church is a church of co-responsibility, in which everybody has a voice, has a role, is protagonist, as Pope Francis say, nobody is a mere extra. And the process of the synod through the experience of this mutual listening, consultation that has happened with the methodology of spiritual conversation that really open a space to listen to everybody, uh, to, to listen also to the word of God, and, and because at the end it's to listen to the Holy Spirit, has really given people this experience that helps them to rediscover or discover, we can say, or integrate the common dignity of all the baptized. It's already written in, in the Vatican II document. If you look at Lumen Gentium, the constitution on, on the church, uh, we can say that with Vatican II, the, the first focus has been put uh, on the common dignity of the baptized, the common call for uh, sainthood. And you have to read chapter three of Lumen Gentium, uh, through the lenses of chapter two on the people of God. It has been one of the main turning point or key shift in the, in the council that at a time, the council fathers decided to put chapter two on the people of God before chapter three on the hierarchy. But we know that it's, it's, uh, it's a long reception, you know, and it's not finished. So this synod helped really uh, everybody and the church as a whole and the community to integrate and to live more deeply this equal common dignity of all the baptized and this call that through our baptism and confirmation, we are all called to be missionary disciples. So co-responsibility is a key word that is uh, really linked uh, to the vision of uh, of a synodal uh, church, then it's how you really implement that and live this spirit uh, of causal responsibility through concrete practice. And we see it's not easy because it's a new way to be church. We have inherited, for many historical reasons, of a model uh, of exercising of leadership or authority that is very personal in many cases, uh, and that can lead to a very authoritarian way. 
And we need to rediscover a more, uh, as I say, collaborative leadership. We are interdependent. You have no pastors without faithful. You have no faithful without pastors. And not only the pastors have to change their way of leadership, but it's also the way lay people will really realize and uh, carry on their protagonism. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's a mutual learning and a mutual transformation. And for me, the key, really the key, is to train people for teamwork because it's not natural. It's not easy. You have to learn that. You have to reflect on that. You need to have process, to have training, and I see many people in their minds, they are open to that, but they don't know how to do it, mm -hmm. you know, because they haven't been trained. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's why organizations like you and others are very important, mm -hmm. uh, not only to promote uh, and call for co-responsibility, but to, to, to mentor, to train, to support people, to find the good practices also according to the different culture, because it's not the same in each country. But uh, so we have to acknowledge and that becoming synodal is a long path and it's uh, about being a learning church. We don't know yet. And we all need to learn from one another. So the global synthesis, if we can talk about that for a moment, um, this synthesis coming out of the Vatican was described by the National Catholic Reporter as the most comprehensive and candid expression of the Catholic Church's relationship with the modern world yet released by a Vatican office. Wow, that is a, that is a quite a review. Um, it is now the framework for the the continental phase of the synod. So, as one of the leaders and it, uh, one of the people in Frascati, uh, which we'd love to hear a, a little insight into that experience, I can only imagine. What is your take or reading on this global synthesis, um, and what do you um, what do you anticipate going forward? Well, you know, this document, we have to understand well what is the, the document. It's really uh, an attempt, as I say, to synthesize, but to, to put into words um, the experience and the voices of the people of God from all over the world. So the, it has been drafted um, with uh, a reading and discerning uh, of the national synthesis. But the most important, and synodality is really learning by doing. That's why it's not enough to talk about it or even to write documents. But the aim of the synod is really the synodal conversion of the church, because we have understood that synodality is truly the call of God for the church of the third millennium, the way to be church today. And why I say that? Because uh, the document is important, but it's not the, in a way, it, it's not the last word, <laughs> you know. The most important is the experience uh, of synodality, and it's a call to find ways in everywhere to uh, implement uh, synodality. So this document um, is a working document. It's not a document from the magisterium as an encyclical or an, an exhortation, mm -hmm. uh, but it was really, and that was very moving for us in Pascati, 
not to try to put what we think, but to try to give back the voices of the people of God that we have listened to through all the, the synthesis. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's a document trying to highlight what many uh, people in the church say. Uh, coming from that's why we wanted really also to put a lot of quotations, a lot of quotes. Uh, that is the direct voice uh, of the national synthesis and, and, and of the, the people. But it gives a kind of photographic uh, of uh, the life of the communities all around the world. And really, what I have understood is that, you know. What the exercise of synodality was really, and there was a unique question for this process from the beginning and now for the continental stage. It is, how are we already journeying together? Because synodality is about journeying together. So how are we already journeying together? What are the lights and the shadows, the good practices of working together and the difficulties? The, um, and what is the next step the Holy Spirit is calling us to? So uh, we were very surprised because the people have spoke very frankly. So it's true that this document is not, you know, just a kind academic uh, theological reflection with nice words. It's just trying to say what people have said in a very frankly style. <laughs> and that's why also it's uh, it could surprise. But doing that, you know, people have tried to say what they see, what they experience, and so this document is really coming from an experience and is to sustain and support an experience of dialogue and mutual listening. Because a synodal church is a relational church, a church of dialogue, an inclusive church in which everybody has a voice. And that's really the goal for the continental stage to deepen this mm -hmm. listening with everybody, especially those who maybe have not yet uh, given their voice, and to continue this churning together so that at the end of each continental meeting, each synodal uh, assembly will uh, draft a final document that we will receive at the Secretariat of the Synod and with the seven final documents, uh, we will be able to draft the working document for the assembly in Rome. Well, Sister Natalie, we I think we were all somewhat joyfully surprised by the news of extending the synod for another full year. Could you just say a little bit about why it, it, that decision was made? And given that this is even more responsibility for an even longer period of time on your shoulders. Are you getting any time sailing? <laughs> so maybe the first thing I, I want to, to highlight uh, regarding your question is that we, we really need to have in mind that through this process, we have a short-term process and a long-term process. The short term is, uh, you know, the, 
the most important, I would say, is really the long-term horizon in which synodality takes the form of a perennial call to personal conversion and reform of the church. So it's very clear from the beginning, this synod must help the church to become more synodal. It's about the synodal conversion of the church. And to sustain that, <laughs> Uh, you need uh, through this synod, you know, to to experience or to to open a first step or to continue to continue uh, because the starting point is very different in each um, local church according to the former experience, the history, and. Um, but uh, we need to have those, you know, short-term and long-term uh, process uh, process in mind. Yes, I, I, I really think that's why, you know, what is difficult, because when you think about the church, it's about, you know, the body of Christ, the temple of the spirit, and, and we need to, to follow the call of the spirit. But in our society, uh, like in Western Europe or USA and many places of, in the world, we are so shaped to be efficient, to short-term goals. You know, we want immediate results, but it, it, it's not like this. <laughs> but what is good is that all the feedback uh, coming through this first phase of the Synod are that where people have experienced the joy of synodality, they want to continue. They, they are tests, they are the first test and they want to continue. Mm. But it takes time to learn discernment, to become synodal. Uh, it's not a matter uh, of just a few days or even a year. So what is very interesting is that Pope Francis has decided that not only you, have, you will have one session, but two sessions. So it's the same synod with two sessions, one in October 23 and one in October 24. So it, it gives time of maturation, of fermentation or fertilization, we can, we can say. Those who will participate to the, the assembly in Rome in October will come back to the diocese, to their places, things will continue and then they will come back. Because if you need at the end to take decisions or to foster this journey together, you need time. And even three weeks or almost four weeks in Rome, it, it's not enough when you work with so many people, you know. So that's mm -hmm. why I think Pope Francis is very wise. He has explained that discernment needs times and you can't do it in one shot. Mm -hmm. And what about the sailing? <laughs> we were, do you, how are you keeping balance on all of the things that you're doing? And do you get to, we, we, uh, we know that uh, sailing is a big part of your life. That's what made us uh, ask. But are you able to um, find some balance in the midst of all these incredible responsibilities you have? <laughs> well, I try. It's not easy, as you know, with all the request and, uh, and demand. But uh, <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, I could sell a little bit or just go to, you know, what is uh, nice to be in Rome is that the sea is not far. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I can also just uh, look at the sea. And uh, and my dream is, I, I have shared that, that maybe one day we can do the Synodal Assembly on the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We will be there. Please save us a seat. 
Oh, Sister Natalie, this has been uh, a joy, an honor. So thank you. We'd like to end our podcast with this last closing question, if we could, is what is one thing that is giving you hope right now? Well, really what gives me hope, you know, being here, the great gift is that we are in contact with all uh, all the world, all the local churches. We have so many feedback. So we really contemplate the work of the Holy Spirit. And when I see, uh, you know, especially in some countries with so such difficult situation of war, conflicts, uh, major economic crisis. Uh, I'm thinking, for instance, of Haiti, Myanmar, Ukraine, you know, even in those countries, they have done the synodal process uh, and they say it gives up uh, also hope uh, and, and we continue and we want to also, even in the midst of all this kidnapping violence, we, we want to, to do the synod and to share our voice uh, and you see the fruits, uh, you know, you are very, well, I am very touched. Uh, so really what gives me hope is that I already see the Holy Spirit is working through the synodal process. So that's why I'm very confident, even if it's not easy, you know, it's if it is really a call of God, we will continue to receive the grace and we have to be confident that the Holy Spirit will continue to lead uh, us Beautiful. Thank you so very much for this wonderful opportunity for Kim and me to be in conversation with you from Rome and to have such a inspiring update on our call to be fully engaged in the life of the church. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity to share with you and every, everything you are doing and your wonderful conversation. Uh, I hope it can help, but uh, it was a pleasure already to, to be with you today. And I hope you will soon be in Rome for a glass of wine or a cup of coffee. Uh, we do too. <laughs> <laughs> It is always a joy to host the Catholic Leaders Podcast. A special thank you to our terrific colleagues who make this podcast possible, to our eloquent and inspiring guests, and to you, our deeply appreciated listeners. We're especially grateful for the production support of Jenna McAndrew, Leslie Rodriguez, and Kate Alexander. Original theme music by Rachel Taylor, and as always, the generous sponsors of Leadership Roundtable. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.